Well, good morning. We have been blessed already. I love, I love the songs that we've been able to sing together this morning. I love being able uh, to, to sing with one another uh, and proclaim uh, the truths of God's Word. Uh, I'd like to welcome you here this morning to Big Woods Bible Church. Uh, if you are new or visiting with us, a special welcome to you. Uh, my name is Aaron, Aaron Badorf, uh, in case you are wondering, uh, but you can forget that as long as you remember the gospel I preach. Uh, and so we are uh, here this morning uh, to worship our resurrected Savior. Uh, I must say, um, I have I have a bit of a a, a new worry uh, as I enter the pulpit this morning, uh, one that I've never experienced ever before. Um, I'm, I'm wondering if I have any spit up on me anywhere. Uh, I think I'm clear, but uh, I did just want to express my thanks to you as the body for all of your prayers, uh, for your meals, for your gifts, for uh, coming and spending time with us and helping as we have um, recently uh, expanded our family. Uh, for those of you who don't know, uh, he's about about six weeks now. Uh, his name is Isaac Samuel Zadok. We are calling him Zadok, uh, Zay for short sometimes, uh, and we we really like him. Uh, he's uh, he's pretty cool, uh, and so we are we are blessed. Uh, by God, and we've been blessed by you uh, in our uh, time of of figuring out what it means to be uh, faithful, godly parents. Uh, so, with all of that being said, um, this morning uh, we're starting a 12-week journey through the book of Colossians. My task this morning is to introduce the book and the series that we're calling Grow Deep, Live Tall. Pastor Tim has started his sabbatical, so that means that the remaining elders will each get to preach a portion of this book. We're only going to take one break from the book of Colossians, and that will be for Thanksgiving Sunday. So over the next 12, 13, whatever it is, weeks, uh, we are going to dive deep into the book of Colossians. And, and I think that we're going to find that, that Colossians is a rich book that speaks of the glories of Christ. And we will be well served by what God has revealed in it. I look forward to hearing each elder getting the opportunity to preach. And I trust that God will use each man to serve the body well in the text that they have been assigned. It might be even helpful to say, just kind of in this, in this time, um, uh, when, when, when I use the, the word elder, uh, it is interchangeable with the word pastor. Uh, elder, pastor, same function. The only difference, I think, historically, is that uh, pastor oftentimes refers to someone who makes their living as an elder. Uh, and so we have 10 elders total here. There are four of us who make their living as elders, uh, as pastors, uh, and one of those four happens to be on sabbatical, uh, but 
there are nine. I think I, I, think I did that math right. I, I forgot to check the back of the bulletin to, to count for sure. Uh, but the remaining nine will be the ones who are preaching through the book of Colossians for us every Sunday morning. And I just, I just want to say that we are blessed by God to have these men who are able to teach. And I trust that God will teach us well through them and his word. By God's design, churches are to be made up of a plurality of elders who serve the body in the word and in prayer. And I think that, that this shows us and it's a reminder to us that the church belongs to Jesus, not any one of us. He is the one who ultimately is leading the body, and we are simply trying to be faithful to him. The church is not built on the elders or any one elder in particular. It's built on Jesus, and he will remain long after all of us. So that being said, like I said this morning, I get to give an overview of the book of Colossians. So while I won't be reading a particular text, drawing a meaning out from that text, explaining it and applying it to our lives as seems to be the usual practice here on a Sunday morning, I'm going to be reading just a few extended passages from the book of Colossians. Uh, We're going to look at what I think is the main point of this entire book as Pastor Josh has already read for us this morning. And we're going to be applying some of the themes from the book of Colossians. And so to that we turn after a word of prayer. So I would invite you to join me in prayer. God, we are so thankful for so many things. I think chief among them is that you sent your son to this earth to live a perfect life, to die a substitutionary death, and to rise again from the grave. We're thankful, God, that by grace through faith we can be adopted into your family as sons and daughters. I pray and ask, God, that you would strengthen our faith here this morning, that you would be with us as we go through and have an overview of of the book of Colossians. I ask, God, that you would give us a desire to read your word. I ask that you would give us then a desire as well to live according to your word. We pray that you, God, would be our focus here this morning, that you would guide and direct us, and that you would help us to trust you more because of our time spent here this morning. I pray, God, that you would be with Pastor Tim as he is away. God, give him the rest that he needs in this time. pray that you would be with us as a body as we go through this book of Colossians. Be with each of the elders as they get to preach. We ask, God, that you would give them clarity in the study. Help them to rely on you. And we just ask, God, that you would teach us well in our time in the book of Colossians. We ask, God, that you would draw us closer to yourself here this morning. And again, we pray and ask that you would receive all of the honor and glory. We love you, God. We praise you and we thank you. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.
the deeper you dig, the higher you can build. And so I think that this principle applies to many areas. Uh, Take, for instance, the tallest building in the world. It stands over 2,700 feet tall. The foundation of that building reaches down over 150 feet. Before they could start about building up, they had to dig down deep to set the foundation that would support this impressive structure. And it took months for this foundation to be laid. And it seemed like there was no progress. But it was necessary to dig deep so that the winds of the desert, of of the UAE, the United Arab Emirates, would not topple this building. And I think that this principle is true of our spiritual lives as well. The winds of culture blow around us. And and if we are to stand firm in the faith, our foundation must go down deep. And I think that this is exactly the point that Paul is making in Colossians. He's saying in order not to be swayed by false teaching, the Christian must be deeply rooted in Christ. That is to say, as Christians, we must spend time digging a deep foundation for our faith, just as Paul helps us with in the book of Colossians. While in a Roman prison in the year 62 AD, Paul is writing to the church at Colossae to help them strengthen their foundation. He's helping them dig deep so they can build high. Paul has never been to this church. He's not even the one who founded it. It was founded by Epaphras, who Paul calls a faithful servant in chapter 1, verse 7. But according to the reports, there were some cracks developing in the church's foundation that needed to be fixed immediately. There was some sort of false teaching that was creeping in. Now, now we don't know exactly what this false teaching was, but we know that it was starting to creep into the Colossian church, and it was serious enough that Paul, under the direction of the Holy Spirit, wrote to this church to strengthen their foundation and take it deeper into the solid rock of Christ. We don't know exactly what was causing these cracks. That is to say, the false teaching is never addressed by name, and its tenets are never spelled out. All we know is that there's a problem. And although the problem is unclear, the solution is not. Paul presents Jesus with a spirit-empowered clarity that is expressed in highest form to the Colossians as the solution to the false teaching they are facing. The false teachers were saying, and, and the Colossians were starting to believe something to the effect of, well, Jesus is a good start, but we need to add a little bit of practice or belief to him. And what Paul says to that is, no, 
No, Jesus is Lord of all creation, and he is more than enough for every believer. If I were to summarize the focus of the book of Colossians with one word, it would be Jesus. Now, I know that that may be the stereotypical Sunday school answer, but listen to the words of Paul as he describes Jesus in chapter 1, verses 15 and following. He says this, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by Him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through Him and for Him. And He is before all things. And in Him all things hold together. And He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything He might be preeminent. For in Him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through Him to reconcile to Himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of His cross. Do you see? Do you see that Jesus is the solution? Whatever the false teaching is, it is to be avoided by knowing Jesus deeply. Of all the books of the Bible, Colossians is the most Christ-centered. There is no more powerful summary of who Jesus is in all of Scripture than the one that we just read. Paul, in a short book, goes to great lengths to present a clear and lofty picture of the true Christ. Paul spends his words proclaiming the glories of Jesus. He wrote to the Colossian church, but it's the same message for us today. And I think that this letter gives the church purpose and focus. The focus of the church is Jesus in all his glory. The message of the church is Jesus in his life, death, burial, resurrection, and return. The church is supposed to live like Jesus in putting the needs of others before our own. Jesus is our focus and our foundation. The message of Colossians is Jesus. And in the midst of what is false, Paul presents what is true. He presents Jesus. You see, Paul didn't give an exhaustive breakdown of what the false teachers were teaching and and go line by line as to where they were wrong. He simply presents Jesus. It's kind of like how you train to spot counterfeit bills. I don't know if anyone here has ever trained to spot a counterfeit bill. But in order to do that, you become so familiar with the real thing so that when a fake comes through, it just feels off. There are intricate security details on bills that are hard to replicate. 
And instead of knowing all of the different ways that you can reproduce them, if you know the real thing, the false stands out. Paul, in his presentation of Jesus, states the truth for the Colossians and us to know and become familiar with. Because when you know the real thing, you aren't fooled by what is false. He shows us and them the supremacy and sufficiency of Jesus over all things, in heaven and on earth. So so we could say that Paul's purpose for writing Colossians is that we would know the true Christ so that we would never be fooled by the fakes. One commentator said it this way, To counter the false teachers, Christians today will find it imperative to know Christ personally and intimately, theologically and practically. They must never allow any philosophical system, whether good or bad, to replace that relationship. Listen again to how Paul says it in chapter 2, verse 6 and following. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. Chapter 2, verses 6 and 7, serve as the main point of this entire book. The foundation on which we build is not the shifting sands of culture. It is the eternal incarnate Word of God who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Paul points us beyond the thinkers of this day and gets straight to the source of all knowledge and wisdom. The deeper you know Jesus, the more faithful you will be to the truth in the midst of what is false. And I think that's the whole idea that, that continues to come up through this entire book. But it's also the idea behind the series name, Grow Deep, Live Tall. We, like the Colossians, must be firmly rooted in Christ. We must dig down deep into Christ, the solid rock, so that as the winds of culture blow, we are not shaken. I find Redwoods, to be one of God's most awe-inspiring creations. I had the opportunity a few years back to preach uh, at, a, at a camp in Northern California in a redwood grove. And there were redwoods as far as the eye could see. It's not unusual for a redwood to stand 250 feet tall and have a circumference of 30 feet. In case you're wondering, that's massive. One of uh, the nights at the camp, uh, I asked people uh, to link arms to see how many it would take to get around one of the, one of the bigger trees in, in the camp that we were staying. Uh, it, it took about eight 
people linked arm to arm to get around this, this one tree. The, the tallest redwood that they know of, the tallest one on record, is two feet shy of 400. So in case you're struggling with math a little bit this morning, that's 398 feet tall. Meaning that if you were a football field away, when that bad boy fell, even back of the end zone to back of the end zone, it's still going to squash you. As impressive as they are above ground, I think they're equally impressive, if not more so, underground. You see, redwoods may not have the deepest roots on record, but they do have some of the longest. They not only reach down, but they reach out. Sometimes as as far as a hundred feet in order to support themselves against the wind. Not only that, but they also interconnect their roots so that they can help support one another, which is why you rarely see a redwood by itself. That, that may be another sermon for another day about how we can help one another to stand firm, but, but we'll leave that for another time. Without the impressive root system that redwoods have, these massive trees would be blown over by the slightest wind. And, and Paul knows that without the firm foundation of Jesus Christ, the church, then and now, would shift with every wind of culture. But Paul expects that the church and Christians would remain firmly planted in the truth of God's word. We are to be rooted and built up in Him and established in the faith. As we read in in chapter 2, verses 6 and 7. The roots of our faith must go down deep and wide into Jesus. We must grow deep so that we can live tall. And, And all of what Paul says in the book of Colossians comes back to that main point. And, and all of the theological descriptions that take place in chapters 1 and 2 are the basis for the practical implications, how we are supposed to live in chapters 3 and 4. If what you believe about Jesus doesn't affect how you live for Jesus, why believe it? The truth you know should affect how you live. And Paul desires that we would know and live for Jesus. And so within the book of Colossians, there are a few themes that come up that I think make exactly that point. The first theme to look at and apply to our lives is the supremacy of Jesus over all things. Over and over again, Paul presents Jesus as superior over all things. Paul calls Jesus many things in the book of Colossians. Here's a survey of, of, of all that he says. He says, Christ Jesus. He is referring to Jesus as Christ Jesus, which is so, showing him to be the expected Messiah. He says he is our Lord Jesus Christ. 
showing that he has authority and lordship over all things. Paul calls Jesus his beloved son. He calls Jesus the image of the invisible God. He calls him the firstborn of all creation, the head of the body, the church. He says that all things were created through him and for him. He says that Jesus is before all things and all things hold together. He says the fullness of God dwells in Jesus. And again, the fullness of deity dwells bodily in him who is the head of all rule and authority. Paul presents Jesus as above all things. And this is not simply for our knowledge. It's for our living as well. Because Jesus is above all things, every area of our lives exists for his glory. As Paul says in chapter 3 verse 1 and following, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Paul tells us, exactly what we should do because of what we believe. And, and I believe that all theology has practical implications and, and all practice has theological foundations. In the Sunday school that, that I just finished last week, I made the same point by saying doctrine is for life. Doctrine should affect the way you live or you don't actually believe it. Paul is making a similar point, and his point is this. If you believe Jesus has supremacy over all things, live with your focus fixed on Jesus. To, to state it another way, if you believe Jesus has supremacy over all things, you won't live your life focused on lesser things. You won't be distracted by the lesser things of this world. Because you realize, as we've read, that Jesus created all of it. So we need to just go right back to the source. We need to stick to the source and live for the supreme Jesus. The second theme that we see is the victory of Jesus over all things. On the cross, Jesus triumphed over evil. He defeated the forces of spiritual darkness. In so doing, as he says in chapter 1, verse 13, He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of His beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He goes on in chapter 2, verse 15 to say, He disarmed the rulers and authorities, and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in Him. This is, this is not to say that Jesus did not also pay our penalty on the cross. But rather, Paul is showing that along with that, Jesus' death defeated the darkness. 
That means that Jesus stands in victory over the evil of this world. Do you see why theology is practical? If Jesus is victorious, then we should live in light of that victory. We have no need to fear evil because Jesus has won. As we go through this series, keep those things in mind. There are many other themes that we could discuss here this morning, but I'll leave that for the rest of the elders to bring up as they go through. But look for them to pop up. As, as we discuss here this morning, though, I also want to give you some practical things to do as a church so that we can get the most out of our study in the book of Colossians. The first thing that I think that, that we should all be doing is praying regularly, regularly for the elders as they preach through this book. Ask God to give understanding in the study so that there can be clarity in the preaching. And I'll tell you what, I really look forward to how God is going to answer that prayer. Pray regularly for the elders. Pray also for one another as you hear. Ask God to give us ears to hear His Word. Ask God that, that, that we would be encouraged by His Word. Ask God that He would empower us by His Spirit to live according to His Word. And pray that God would as we see Jesus presented in Colossians, conform us to the image of His Son so that we can live faithfully for His glory. Pray for the elders. Pray for one another. Pray for the church as we are challenged. There may be some things in this book that challenge us as individuals and as a church. But pray that God would allow us to submit to what he requires of us, both individually and corporately. Now, I, I, I believe that, that you should do this every day. Not only that, but I don't think that you should stop doing this once we finish going through Colossians. Even as Pastor Tim returns and we move on from, from there... Continue to pray for the preaching of God's word. Continue to pray for one another. And continue to pray for us as a church. And I, I, I promise you, because God promises us that he will use our prayers and the preaching of his word to grow and strengthen our faith and cause the gospel to go forward in this community. If you aren't exactly sure how or where to start praying for these things, you're in luck. Paul showed us exactly how to do this in the book of Colossians. In chapter 1, verses 9 through 12, we read this. And so we heard, and so, sorry, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you. 
asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. If you're not sure how to pray, start right there. If you ever don't know what to pray, it is always safe to pray God's word. Imagine, just just think what it would be like for God to answer that prayer of Paul in this body. What would it be like for us to be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding? What would it be like if we were praying for one another that we would walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God? I think it would be a glorious thing. And I hope you will join me in praying these things for our body as we go through the book of Colossians, but again, not stopping there. Speaking of God's word, I think that you should read through the book at least once a week. Maybe even aim for five. You can read it every day. If, if you are worried, well, you know, I, I'm, not, I'm not sure I have the time, it takes ten minutes. My average was, was ten minutes. If you want to listen to it on the Bible app, that's great as well. And that'll take less than 15 minutes. And you can do that eight times a day. But immerse yourself in this book. Soak yourself in it. Because the more familiar you are with this book, the more you will learn as this book is preached. And, and I'll just say that, that it is a great gift to a preacher to preach to people who know the word. Would you give the elders that gift? God promises to work by his spirit through his word. So read it. Listen to it. And let God work in you by it. One commentator said it this way, specifically of the book of Colossians, whether the reader spends countless hours with Colossians or reads it only casually, every encounter with the text brings one face to face with the Lord whom the text introduces so well. Every occasion to read it leaves its mark indelibly on the mind. Colossians presents Jesus. And and if you've been looking for a place to start reading God's word, what better opportunity than the one that is in front of you right now? Colossians will show you Jesus. Take advantage of that. And, And you can increase your exposure by memorizing passages. 
Maybe you could start with the main point verses of chapter 2, verses 6 and 7. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. When you memorize those passages, it will allow you to meditate on it day and night. It will give you greater understanding and it will allow you to live according to it. Or maybe you could memorize the the put off, put on passages that we see in chapter 3. God may use those passages in your life to help you put to death what is earthly among you. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. Or he may help you to put away anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. So that you can put on compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience. And that you can bear with one another in love. So that if someone has a complaint against you, you can forgive one another as the Lord has forgiven you. And that would all lead then to putting on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony, so that the peace of Christ would rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. It's a passage straight from chapter 3. It will help you in putting off the old and putting on the new in Christ. And I think all of this is following the command That Paul gives in chapter 3 verses 16 and 17 where he says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do all In the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Memorize passages like that so that you can live according to them. It is is my prayer that, that God would use this series so that you and I may be filled with the knowledge of His will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. I also don't want to take for granted, though, the fact that that there may be some here who have not received Jesus as Lord. In light of what Paul says in chapter 1, verses 13 and 14, I need you to know that if you have not received Jesus as Lord, you are still in the domain of darkness and your sins have not been forgiven. This is a dire state to be in. Paul says in, in, in 2.13 that outside of Christ, we are all dead in our trespasses and sins. We stand as enemies of God outside of Christ. But the forgiveness that Paul speaks of is available to you today, right here, right now. 
Paul continues and says that, that God can make us alive and forgive our trespasses and cancel the record of debt that stood against us. If you would place your faith in the supreme Jesus, you too can be transferred from the domain of darkness and have your sins forgiven. And I would urge you not to leave this place this morning until you can say with certainty that you belong to the kingdom of His beloved Son. Place your faith in the risen Christ. For He alone is worthy to be praised. This morning we also have the privilege of being reminded of the sacrifice that Jesus made in our place. We're celebrating communion, the Lord's Supper. And this is meant to show us visibly what Jesus went through on the cross. We have the bread. And we see that the body of Jesus was broken. And this is pictured as we break this bread together. But we also see the blood of Jesus that was poured out. is represented in the pouring of the fruit of the vine. These are pictures that we are to see and be reminded of all that Jesus went through to accomplish the forgiveness of sins and to reconcile to Himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of His cross. If you have experienced the forgiveness of Jesus that was won, this is a meal of celebration to you. And, and, and as you look back at what Jesus did in your place, and look in to see what He is doing in you continually, and look forward to His return, you are celebrating the risen Christ. I want to make clear, however, that, that this is only a celebration and open to those who have been forgiven. If you do not know Jesus as Lord, or are living your life focusing on something or someone else, please do not eat this meal. The judgment that we are reminded of that Jesus took in our place, the place of those who have put their faith in Him, remains on you. But know as well, that right here, right now, by faith, that judgment can be removed. If you would acknowledge you are a sinner in need of a Savior, you will be delivered from the domain of darkness and transferred into the kingdom of His beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. This is available to you today. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. And if you do, celebrate with us in this meal. Uh, the elders and deacons are going to come forward at this time to serve us the bread. And just logistically speaking, we are going to be served the bread. We'll pray for both the bread and the cup. We'll eat the bread together. 
And then we will serve, be served the cup as well. So brothers, come forward and we will be served uh, the Lord's Supper this morning. I'm going to read from 1 Corinthians chapter 11, and then we will pray. It says, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's pray. Gracious God, we thank you and we praise you for your grace and mercy shown to us in Jesus. We ask that that as we partake, that you would strengthen us. We know, God, that, that you have fed us with the bread of life. We also ask, God, that you would unify us. Through the broken body and shed blood of Christ, you make us one. And so we ask, God, that you would strengthen us by your service, by this meal. And may we live all our days for your glory. And when we go from this place, send us out in the power of your spirit to live and work to your praise and glory for the sake of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.